Welcome to the Bob Harden Show, bringing you news and commentary to keep you informed and enjoying life on the Paradise Coast. And now, here's your host, Bob Harden. Good morning. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning. Johnson's Air Conditioning is Naples' longest established air conditioning company. They do a terrific job, and you can find out more and give them a call. The website is johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date by reading Life in Naples. The website is lifeinnaples.net. We have a terrific show for you today, including Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. We'll continue our discussion about the Second Amendment and gun control. We'll also visit with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. It is October the 4th, and on this day in 1969, the Soviet Union inaugurated the Space Age with its launch of Sputnik, the world's first artificial satellite. The spacecraft named Sputnik, uh, after the Russian word uh, for fellow traveler, was launched at 10.29 p.m. Moscow time. Uh, Sputnik had been a diameter of about 22 inches and weight of 184 pounds and circled the Earth once every hour and 36 minutes. Traveling at 18,000 miles an hour, its elliptical orbit had an apogee, which is the furthest point from the Earth, of 584 miles and a perigee of 143 miles. <clears throat> Visible with binoculars after or before sunrise or after sunset, Sputnik traveled radio, uh, transmitted radio signals back to Earth strong enough to be picked up by amateur radio operators. Those in the United States with access to such equipment uh, tuned in and listened to, in awe as the beeping Soviet spacecraft passed over America several times a day. In January 1958, Sputnik's uh, orbit deteriorated as it expected, and the spacecraft burned up in the atmosphere. Officially, Sputnik was launched to correspond with the International Geophysical Year, a solar period of the International Council of Scientific Unions declared would be ideal for launching the artificial uh, satellites to study the Earth and the solar system. However, of course, many Americans feared more sinister uses of the Soviet's new rocket and satellite technology, which was apparently strides ahead of the U.S. space effort. Sputnik was some 10 times the size of the first planned U.S. satellite, which was not scheduled to be launched until the very next year. The U.S. government, military, and scientific community was caught off guard by the Soviet technological achievement, and the united efforts to catch up with the Soviets heralded the beginning of the quote-unquote space race or space age. Uh, the first U.S. satellite, Explorer, was launched on January the th 31st, 1958. By then, the Soviets had already achieved another ideological victory when they launched a dog into orbit aboard Sputnik 2. The Soviet space program went on to achieve a series of other firsts in the late 1950s and early 60s, including first man in the space, first woman, first three men, first spacewalk, first spacecraft to impact the moon, first to orbit the moon, first to impact Venus, and first craft to soft land on the moon. However, the United States took a giant leap ahead in the space race in the late 60s when Apollo Lunar Landing Program which successfully landed two Apollo astronauts on the surface of the moon in July 1969. So the beginning of the space race is so interesting. <clears throat> so it's had a, the leg up, and uh, with our commitment and American ingenuity, we ended up uh, dominating. Well, stocks got creamed yesterday. as a significant decline, primarily driven by surging treasury yields, 
which reached the highest level since 2007, the surge raised concerns among investors that elevated interest rates could potentially lead to freezing the housing market and even push the economy into a recession. The Dow Jones Industrial Average recorded a loss of 471 points, equivalent to a 1.4% decrease, marking its first substantial decline since March. The S&P 500 followed suit, uh, sliding 1.4%, reaching its lowest point since June, and the NASDAQ composite, characterized by its focus on growth stocks, experienced a more pronounced dip of 1.8% due to the surge in interest rates. As a result of Tuesday's losses, the Dow entered negative territory for the year. In contrast, the broader S&P 500 still maintained a positive performance, showing a 10% gain for the year 2023. Again, stocks get cream, it's got creamed yesterday. Don't know what the future might be, but I'd certainly like to see an upturn in uh, financial markets. Well, the big news, of course, yesterday is uh, Representative Kevin McCarthy was ousted as Speaker of the House after the House voted 2016, or 216 to 210 on a resolution for Representative Matt Gates uh, to vacate the leadership role. McCarthy, who had been in the post for under nine months, became the first Speaker in U.S. history to be removed from the office. Uh, Representative Patrick McHenry is now the interim speaker, known as Speaker Pro Tempore. McHenry was the first on the list of backup speakers McCarthy had submitted to the House clerk in January, as required by House rules. As Speaker Pro Tempore, McHenry will oversee an election for the next speaker. House Republicans reportedly plan to hold a candidate for him next Tuesday in an election next Wednesday. McCarthy announced he won't run again. <clears throat> now, while we're waiting, uh, <laughs> McHenry proceeded to adjourn and uh, send everybody home for the weekend. A real sense of urgency there. Uh, eight House Republicans joined the 208 House Democrats in voting to oust McCarthy. House Minority Leader Hakeem Jeffries had urged House Democrats to vote the measure as a block. McCarthy became House Speaker in January following 15 rounds of voting across four days, during which he agreed to a number of concessions, including lowering the threshold to force a vote removed in the Speaker to, uh, to one member. It's just uh, so unfortunate that uh, McCarthy didn't live up to his commitment to the uh, conservatives with regard to uh, following regular order, uh, creating a budget, uh, all that he wanted to continue, continuing resolution, and again, just broken promises. The whole system's broken, and quite frankly, I'm so pleased uh, that uh, I realize this gives everybody a sense of uh, chaos and a lack of confidence in how we move forward, but I think that's a good thing. I think it's good to shake things up. It's kind of like a break shot in pool to, to let uh, members to start thinking about how do we get how do we get control of the budget and in our indebtedness, and how do we get things back on track? Potential House leaders or Republican leaders who could replace McCarthy include uh, Majority Leader Steve Scalise uh, from Louisiana, House Chair Elise Stefanik from New York, Majority Whip Tom Emmer from Minnesota, though none have yet announced any plans to seek the post. <clears throat> Another contender could be our own Representative Byron Donalds, around whom anti-McCarthy Republicans rallied in January. He did not vote to remove McCarthy. Scalise on Tuesday evening began reaching out to lawmakers exploring a leadership bid. I think there's a lot of support for Scalise on this. After the news broke that McCarthy would not seek to reclaim the gavel, uh, Texas GOP Representative Tony uh, Troy Nails 
backed former President Donald Trump for the post. Uh, the interesting thing is that according to the Constitution, you don't have to be a member of Congress to be Speaker of the House. Sean Hannity on Tuesday reported, citing unnamed sources, that some lawmakers have contacted Trump about the prospect and that he expressed openness to the idea. So things continue to brew. This is so interesting. Uh, I, I could He would just do a terrific job as Speaker of the House. I'd love to see him take the job, although I, I wonder if it would uh, diminish his appeal uh, as uh, to become president. Not sure how that would impact. But nevertheless, uh, it's again, in my opinion, <clears throat> I know this is creating a lot of uncertainty in what's going to happen. I think that's a good thing because we were on the wrong track and our indebtedness continues to soar. Senior officials of the Democrat National Committee are sounding the alarm that the committee is falling short of its own diversity goals. And they're warning that if current trends aren't changed, the delegates heading to the next summer's convention will be too white when they gather next summer to officially renominate President Biden. I keep looking at the diversity goals in big states like New York and California, and for some reason, whether it's the African-American community, black community, the LBGTQ plus community, or Hispanic community, the numbers continue to decrease. That, according to Dodonna Brazil, uh, she told colleagues at a recent committee gathering in Washington, D.C. So it is reassuring to see that... <clears throat> The Democrat Party is more concerned about the color of people than they are about policy, and that's evident in how the government is being run by the Democrats. Well, the federal government dropped $3.3 billion on new office furniture as the vast majority of its employees worked from home during the COVID-19 pandemic. Between 2020 and 2022, federal agencies spent more than $1 billion per year on plush decor. Can you believe that? $1 billion a year, a rate consistent with the pre-pandemic levels, despite departments filling just a quarter of their available office space on average. That's right. Only 25% of the people actually show up for work. The taxpayer watchdog OpenTheBooks.com revealed that the furniture splurge in a study review uh, published on Tuesday, citing a Government Accountability Office report that found 17 of the 24 federal agencies are using as little as 9% and as much as 49% of their building capacities well into the fourth uh, year of the pandemic. What a waste. What a waste. Well, Sam Bankman-Fried, found, uh, founder of the new bankrupt now bankrupt, crypto trading platform FTX began standing trial starting yesterday in what federal prosecutors have called one of the biggest financial frauds in history. The 31-year-old Brankman Freed has pleaded not guilty to seven counts of fraud and conspiracy in connection with the collapse of FTX. He could spend the rest of his life in prison if convicted and sentenced to a maximum punishment. Prosecutors allege Brankman Freed stole billions of dollars from FTX customers for his own personal use and to cover huge losses incurred by a crypto hedge fund he also controlled. Yeah, yeah, I, I, this is not going to go well for Bankman Freed. And, of course, yesterday, President Biden's son pleaded not guilty to three federal charges in Delaware courtroom. This is the first time in history a sitting president's child will fight criminal charges. Uh, when purchasing a revolver in 2018, Hunter allegedly lied on the federal form that he wasn't using drugs, even though he was addicted to cocaine at the time. Earlier this year, Hunter agreed to enter a plea deal with prosecutors, but it fell after, apart after a judge refused to sign off on it. 
If convicted, Hunter faces up to 25 years in prison and up to $750,000 in fines. Do you think that really is going to happen? I don't think it'll be anything close to uh, maximum uh, punishment. Meanwhile, former President Donald Trump, uh, his civil uh, trial fraud trial is playing out. The judge issued a gag order against Trump after 45 uh, President Trump attacked the judge's clerk on social media. So, boy, this the judge, <laughs> what a clown he is. This is just, again, more lawfare, and it's so unfortunate and so expensive. This segment of the show brought to you by the good folks at Johnson's Air Conditioning, Naples' the longest established air conditioning company. I hope you visit the website, johnsonsairconditioning.com. Also brought to you by Life in Naples magazine. Be in the know and stay up to date. By reading Life in Naples, the website is lifeinnaples.net. Coming up, Bob Levy. He is the chairman emeritus of the Cato Institute. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. Stay tuned for more of the Bob Harden Show here on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. I'm Bob Harden, the host of the Bob Harden Show. One of my favorites for breakfast or lunch is Lulabee's Diner, providing great service, fabulous food, and a rockin' good time. Lulabee's Diner is a throwback to the 60s, complete with great music and a fabulous 60s decor. What I like best is a blend of great food, great value, and terrific service. Most of the friendly waitstaff has been part of Lulabee's for years. I enjoy the great choices for breakfast and lunch, and you'll find the menu has everything and anything to satisfy your taste. Lulabee's offers catering, party platters, lunch boxes, and more. Lulabee's Diner will quickly become one of your favorites for breakfast or lunch. No reservations are needed. Check out the website at lulabees.com and stop by Lulabee's Diner, open from 8 a.m. until 2 p.m., seven days a week. Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center at the corner of Immokalee and Airport Pulling Roads. Stop by Lulabee's Diner for fabulous food and for a forever cool rockin' good time. Collier County Sheriff Kevin Rambaugh says the number one reason the elderly become victims is isolation. The Collier Senior Center goes a long way in keeping seniors connected with the community and with each other. The Collier Senior Center, located at 4898 Coronado Parkway in Golden Gate, provides comprehensive information regarding services and resources that affect the quality of life of older adults and their caregivers in Collier County, empowering them to maintain independent and meaningful lives. Here's Esther Lully, director of Collier Senior Center. Everyone, every senior is welcome. There's diversity there. It's vibrant. It's a caring atmosphere. So there's a reason we offer the services and programs that we do. We want to help enrich the lives of senior members and provide support to their caregivers. Want to find out more? Visit CollierSeniorCenter.org. That's CollierSeniorCenter.org. Or call the Collier Senior Center at 239-252-4541. That's 252-4541. Welcome back to the Bob Harden Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. We're providing you news and commentary rooted in a commitment to individual liberty. 
personal responsibility, limited government, and the rule of law. Coming up, we're going to visit with Professor Andrew Joppa. Right now we have with us Bob Levy. He is the Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. Bob, thank you so much for joining us here on the show. Always a pleasure. Good to be with you, Bob. Thank you, Bob. Tell us about the Cato Institute. We are a libertarian think tank headquartered in D.C. and devoted to defending free markets, private property, securing individual liberty, and limited government at cato.org on the web. Thank you, Bob. So uh, for the last several weeks, we've been talking about the Second Amendment and gun control. I'd like to turn uh, to the data on gun-related violence, starting with school shootings. Not long ago, Senator Chris Murphy of uh, Connecticut claimed there are already more mass shootings than days in a year. Is that, could that possibly be true? Well, it depends on the definition. You know, the FBI defines mass murder as four or more victims slain in one event in one location. Mm. Um, so starting with that definition, the uh, Congressional Research Service that uh, reported that during some recent years, there were an average of 21 mass shootings in the U.S. annually. Uh, other sources have uh, reported somewhat more uh, lately. But, you know, some of those killings are within a family. Yeah. And others are associated with drug deals and with gang warfare. Only a few of them are these mass public shootings like, you know, the Parkland uh, atrocity. Now, I don't mean to trivialize Parkland, but some of the rhetoric, rhetoric has been grossly overblown. There were 17 people murdered in the Parkland uh, event, but... You know, there are 17 people murdered in downtown Chicago every two weeks. Yeah. So, yeah, you have to put that in perspective. And the, the good news is that since peaking back in the early 1990s, gun homicide has actually declined uh, substantially nationwide. And overall, gun crime victimization is down even more substantially. School shootings are also down. So during that same period... Our gun supply grew by 80 million, and there are now more than one gun per person in the U.S. So the, uh, the arithmetic is that the guns are way up and the gun killings are way down. It doesn't suggest that uh, there's a causal relationship there. Interesting. So do we tend to overestimate the risks of school shootings? Definitely. Uh, the Department of Education <clears throat> tells us that about 50 million kids attend public schools. And that's for an average uh, of half a year, 180 days or so per year. And since Columbine, that's 1999, there have been a, about 200 students that have been shot to death during school. So if, if you do the math, uh, the likelihood of a student being killed by a gun in school on any given day is roughly 1 in 614 million. So, yeah, it, it could be your kid, uh, yeah. but, you know, he or she faces a higher risk traveling to and from school or catching a potentially deadly disease in school or suffering a uh, major life-threatening injury playing interscholastic sports. So about 120 times more kids are shot outside school uh, than inside school. So, we, so. We, you know, we also tend to overestimate the risks associated with these accidental shootings out of uh, 40 million kids under the age of 10, there were only 20 accidental deaths 
in, in most recent years. These young kids are 40, uh, are, uh, are 40 times more likely to die from suffocation and 30 times more likely to drown and 20 times more likely to die in fires. So, yes, we do overestimate the school risk. So how about the old adage that uh, figures don't lie, but liars figure? <laughs> well, that <clears throat> statistics like that, uh, like the gun statistics, have to be viewed with uh, caution. First, because the source can be ideologically motivated, and second, because it's difficult to hold all the variables constant except the variable you're interested in, which is the relationship between guns and violence. Uh, the gun-related statistics present special problems. For example, the, the data most often cited includes suicides, mm -hmm. which are the largest component of gun-related deaths. But, you know, if we're looking at a ban on assault weapons or high-capacity magazines, uh, statistics, including suicides, are really irrelevant. And nobody's going to be deterred uh, from killing himself because he only has a handgun. And the, and the other issue is the data on gun-related crimes. They should include only the crimes that are committed with guns that are currently legal mm -hmm. because it, it's logically circ circular to argue that a weapon should be banned by quoting data on crimes that are committed with weapons that are already banned. So, you know, if we're, if we're, if we're concerned about crimes using a gun, we have to balance that concern by counting the crimes that are deterred by a gun. And that's tough because uh, those, those guns are, are used offensively, and most often they're not fired. They're actually just brandished. Uh, there are about a half million gun crimes annually in the U.S., and according to Florida State uh, criminologist Gary Kleck, who, by the way, favors more gun control, there are four times more defensive uses and bear in mind, with 400 million guns in circulation, even if a different gun were used in each of the half million crimes, which obviously isn't the case, but even if that were the case, that would mean that 99.9% .9 of the guns in the U.S. are not involved in uh, criminal activity. And, and, Bob, how about uh, gun ownership by civilians uh, that have saved lives? Do we have any statistics on that? Indeed, we do. Um, <clears throat> our, our, uh, our, um, we have these cases in Parkland, and uh, I, I'm sorry, in the after the Watts riots, and cases uh, in several different uh, um, locations where the brandishing of a gun is actually deterred, um, deterred uh, gun-related crimes. Now, I can't tell you exactly when that has occurred, but I have seen mm -hmm. a number of instances where that has been, uh, that has been the case. So I, I think that we do not count those cases, and of course, that leads us to some bias in the interpretation of these statistics. Yeah, I think so. I mean, uh, uh, Sheriff Scott in Lee County told me one time on air, he said, you know, Bob, uh, they refer to the uh, sheriff's office as first responders. He says, we're not first responders. The first responder is the victim. And uh, if they're carrying a gun, it tends to limit or uh, reduce the likelihood of some sort of a crime committed against that person. Yeah, we, you know, and we did have in, I remember in Pearl, Mississippi, 
A, a teenager killed a couple of students, and the vice principal ran to his car, retrieved his weapon, and, and halted the attack. And there was a incidents in uh, Pennsylvania where a shooter killed and wounded a couple of people at a school dance, and the owner of the dance hall uh, grabbed his shotgun and, and uh, limited the toll. And then there was that uh, law school in, in Virginia, the Appalachian Law School, a student uh, who was an off-duty sheriff got his gun and delayed the shooter until other students uh, tackled him. So there have been a lot of those kinds of events. Uh, yeah, and, and the other thing that's happening is, is that uh, right now, gun, schools were always considered gun-free zones. So, you know, for, for somebody who has the intent of uh, hurting students, uh, going to a school is a less threatening place than going to a place where you expect the, that the other people might have guns. And now there, you know, many, for example, here in Florida, having teachers that are going to be armed, and uh, so the killers or these people, predators, can't come in and determine. They don't know who might ha be uh, armed. So th the environment is improving. I think, and uh, people are making better decisions about protecting students. That's certainly true in some states. In other states, of course, it's going the other way, and uh, with predictable consequences. Absolutely. Bob Levy, again, Chairman Emeritus of the Cato Institute. I encourage you to visit their very robust website, cato.org, C-A-T-O.org. Bob, always appreciate your commentary here on the show. Thank you so much for joining us. Great to be with you, Bob. Thank you so much. All right, coming up, we're going to be visiting with Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. That and more right here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. <laughs> for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Make it a convenient and stress-free experience by calling the dynamic and trustworthy husband and wife team of Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties. Find out about their unique and complimentary post-closing concierge services not offered by other area agents. Matt and Megan Chionis give you the competitive advantage to command a premium price for your property. They personally attend all showings, create a marketing strategy for your property, and offer that complimentary concierge service to your potential buyer. This hands-on approach has helped them set several sales records in Pelican Bay and many at near-record prices. Megan and Matt Chionis understand that as an affluent buyer-seller, your needs and desires are unique. You deserve this level of service. Megan and Matt Chionis are passionate about the Naples lifestyle and they want you to enjoy it too. Call Megan and Matt Chionis with Gulf Coast International Properties at 239-269-5310. That's 239-269-5310. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239 325 1041. That's 239 325 1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor.
Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harton. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by Golf Shore Playhouse, changing lives through exceptional theater experiences. And you can find out more and get tickets to some great performances coming up. Visit the website, golfshoreplayhouse.org, golfshoreplayhouse.org. We have with us Andrew Joppa, professor and author of Josephus of Oz. Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good morning, Bob. Good morning, Andy, and happy birthday to you. I well, hope it's- well, thank you so much, Bob. It's uh, a big one, uh, 81. I'm not sure if that matters, but to me it matters. I think it's also, more importantly, National Taco Day, which I think is perhaps more significant than my birthday. And tomorrow is what I call my unbirthday day, which is the furthest I'll be from my next birthday. I, should, I think there should be a holiday that is unbirthday day. So I, I think I'm going to promote that one of these days. Well, I think there is just because you said that. <laughs> <laughs> it, it might. It might. Hey, okay, so- I'll start out today with the quote of the day, which I've been doing the last couple of weeks. The quote is one that is, is common in many ways ways, but uh, I think it needs reinforcement. Quote says, when you are no longer allowed to question the truth or accuracy of science data, then you are no longer dealing with either science or truth. You've entered into the realm of propaganda and totalitarian politics. Now, if, I mean, that quote to me sums up uh, what we've gone through over the past few years uh, with COVID, what we've gone through for many years uh, with the carbon, uh, the carbon hoax, as I see it. Uh, so I think we're looking at uh, two areas of science where debate has not been allowed, where the question has not been allowed. And I think by definition, that f- uh, ceases to be science and ceases to be truth, Bob. Couldn't agree more. And uh, right now it's all orchestrated. I think it's all on purpose. And it's just playing out of the Marxist handbook of uh, the far left trying to turn us into a, uh, well, into a a Marxist society. Well, I mean, there's no doubt that that's going on. I mean, whether we call it Marxist or whatever we want to call it, it doesn't change the reality of it. The reality, uh, for example, I've always thought that Marxism, communism, socialism, just different basically names for the same thing. Uh, so I think what, what what we call it doesn't matter what it is, and you're describing it accurately, is exactly what matters, Bob. Absolutely. So we usually uh, start off with a little good news, Andy. Do you have any good news for us? Well, the, the good news is strange. I, I think my good news for today is the idiocy that the left is is demonstrating. I guess I'm marginally optimistic that if there's enough idiocy that they get involved with, that eventually even the most dullard Americans will be able to see who they are. For example... We have the recent circumstance where Jamal Bowman, Congressman Jamal Bowman, uh, accidentally, apparently, pulls a fire alarm, <clears throat> essentially shutting down the House of Representatives. You know, so uh, he said that he thought it was the way of opening the emergency exit. Now, I think more obviously he was trying to uh, delay the actions taking place in the House. Uh, but let's say he was making a mistake. Do you realize how stupid that man must be? To be involved with that kind of mistake. Well, and then just uh, further, he's a, a former principal in a, in a public school. So can you imagine not knowing what a fire alarm? I mean, they they got fire alarms. <laughs> well, I mean, it's possible the man's illiterate. He may not have been able to read that. So I mean, who knows? Yes. Yeah, I mean, I, I would equate this only with uh, Representative <laughs> Hank Johnson, the, the infamous Senate, uh, Representative Hank Johnson, right. who at one point and said, "If we send more Marines to Guam." it may eventually cause Guam to tip into the ocean. 
So, I mean, there's, I mean, there's such idiocy that is rampant. If we look at some, I've extracted some headlines, Bob, to try to deepen this view of the absurdity of the left, which is perhaps necessary for many of their supporters. Uh, medical schools, I, hiring, hiring leaders based on social justice views. Hospital, another one, hospitals are starting to ask men if they're pregnant. Yeah. Another one, uh, university schools, midwifery students on the handling of the birthing penis, whatever that is. I have no idea. Uh, to, another one, Bob, to root out racism, elite high school for science and technology ends merit-based admissions, which seems to be the very definition of an elite high school. Uh, but they end the merit-based admissions. Uh, another one, be, I think one more, a college professor says, Headline, students will be kicked out for the slur of misgendering. So, I mean, there are a countless number yeah. of these moments that we can see in the media every day. And they're not intended to be attacks on the left. They're just uh, media, media comments on what they see as meaningful leftist uh, commentary. And yet, I think any fair-minded person would, would see this as absurd. Now, I have one more, which I'm, I'm going to extend into a, a longer discussion. Um, Justice uh, Arthur Engeron has valued Mar-a-Lago at $18 million. Yeah. Now, $18 million would probably be the cost of the, the guest house, maybe, mm -hmm. maybe the, the guest house. Uh, a prior property sold fairly adjacent uh, to uh, Mar-a-Lago, a smaller property without the development, sold recently for $100 million. Uh, Trump valued it at a billion and a half. Let's say it's a billion but $18 million is absurd, and I think everybody everybody recognizes the, the absurdity of it, and yet they're building an entire case of uh, financial fraud essentially around this, uh, this uh, overvaluation uh, of a property that obviously has that kind of value, Bob. Uh, just appalling, and it's a summary judgment. In other words, uh, while the trial is going to go on because there's other uh, matters of substance in the, uh, in the charges, this one has been a summary judgment, and uh, it's decided. It's not even just There's no opportunity for to present the other side, which is all the evidence, of course, that you and, just. And wanted. it's going to be a judicial ruling, so there's there's not going to be any other involvement except <clears throat> Arthur uh, Engeron, who was I, I I you know watching the proceedings. Um, uh, Trump handled himself always with dignity. He didn't uh, overreact, didn't become emotional. You have Letitia James uh, uh, glaring at at, uh, at President Trump just in this most heinous of manner. And then Arthur Engeron, just this broad-based smile like Alfred E. Newman, uh, like a kid who just caught his biggest fish. And right. so we have these two, Arthur Engeron and Letitia James, that are spearheading this attack on, on President Trump. And as you indicate, there are, there are other situations. But I think for the, for the most part, and perhaps in their entirety, they are comparable to what's happening in New York with, with James and Engaramba. Uh, no question about it. There, it was, uh, just wonder if you had any thoughts or comments on uh, Matt Gates and the proceedings yesterday to oust uh, Speaker McCarthy. Yeah, I mean, I wasn't obviously going to talk about this, but <clears throat> I think it's uh, it's critical to talk about. I uh, unfortunately do not have a firm view of this uh, because I think much of what it will be or represent will be in the future. Uh, now, basically, I, I guess my two views are this. First of all, uh, I think we probably don't want the government to shut down. I'm not sure if that's true for, from, for many, but let's say there's a, a legitimate position that the government shutdown is not inherently a good thing. On the other hand, is it a good thing to allow a government to continue unimpeded 
when it's accomplishing nothing of real value and ignoring serious issues that are, are damaging, if not destroying, this country. So I think if I was to say, and I was forced to say, what is my opinion of this, I think essentially that it's a good thing, because I think to allow the government to continue as if all is well by allowing McCarthy to stay in place, I think would be a statement that everything is acceptable in place. And I don't see it that way. I don't think anyone should see it that way. Now, again, I have very mixed views on this, but if I was forced into a specific position, uh, I think that would be the position I would take, Bob. Yeah, I agree with that. In fact, I think that what Gates did is really commendable. Uh, he's, it's kind of like a break shot in pool. Basically, he said the, you know, the current way we're going right now is going to lead to total destruction of our country. Uh, and it's just fiscally, never mind all the other things that we've talked about. So he's basically saying, look, uh, we need to change. I'm going to create some chaos here. We need some change. And hopefully this will pay, make people wake up and think about how we're going to proceed going in the future. And it also sends a message to the next Speaker of the House. You know what? Either you, if you don't keep your word... We're going to get you out of here. So uh, I think some very good things can come from this. I'm, I'm optimistic, and I, <clears throat> as I started out by saying, those are things in the future. Uh, I think when we saw the original vote for McCarthy, uh, where it took 15 rounds of voting to uh, have him name the, the speaker originally, I think that a lot of this could have been predicted. Uh, now, again, I, I think that he did uh, uh, change his, uh, his commitments that he made to some of the conservative uh, um, uh, uh, people in the House. Uh, I think he had uh, direct dealings with the Democrats. Uh, he negotiated with them. I think negotiated is the wrong word. I think he, he yielded to them for all practical purposes. Yeah. I think that we can cite uh, perhaps um, several major areas where a, a serious speaker could have gone after some of the uh, unneeded spending in our federal government. Uh, I think we could look at the Department of Commerce, the Department of Education. Uh, there's so many of these. The uh, Department of Agriculture, Bob, has 100,000 employees. Yeah. How in the world do you need 100,000 people <laughs> in the Department of Agriculture? They don't grow any crops. No. <laughs> so, and, Andy, we need to take a and 100,000. If we look at the Drug Enforcement Agency, another $3 billion, where are they enforcing this? And by the way, a case can be made, I won't make it today, a case can be made that it's the illegality of drugs that really enables the drug cartel to even exist. Exactly. If drugs were made legal, and I'm not making that case at this point, but it could be made, that effectively the cartels would essentially have to close down, yeah. because again, their profit would be taken, taken out of the picture. So here we have no serious discussion of any meaningful issue in America that we all can acknowledge if we're if we're rational are are deeply damaging this country and yet the house goes on as if everything is fine and they're dealing essentially with day-to-day minutia of keeping the government open uh, now if the government closes the, the major aspects of what affects uh, the vast majority of Americans are not impacted by this closing. It's not like uh, Social Security is lost or Medicare is lost. Those things go on. Uh, so what we're seeing is a very limited impact. Uh, I think the Democrats will probably close uh, the state parks if it ever, or the uh, federal parks, uh, if it did ever close down. 
But again, nothing dramatic would happen. Uh, of course. Fact. You know, so we. I think that, and I agree with you, and I guess you're agreeing with me. I think Gates's action was, uh, was called for. I think in the long run, if they handle it uh, differently, and by the way, Here's a point I'd like to make, that Republicans are always cited uh, for not being unified. Now, to me, that's a virtue. Right. If we're looking at individual thinkers that are elected by individual constituencies in their home districts, they want that representative to go to the House of Representatives and think independently uh, how the issue affects them. So what you have with the left, of course, is a knee-jerk unity uh, where everyone agrees now that's that's supposed to be good i don't see it that way i don't think anyone yeah. should see it that way i think what we see with the republicans and although it's messy sometimes i think we have a lot of people thinking discussing arguing fighting and i think those are the hallmarks of a sound a democratic republic bob i couldn't agree more andy you know what uh, we closed down a 17 trillion dollar economy for a couple of years because of some fear of a pandemic and uh, we're afraid to close down the government which <laughs> you know because we're concerned that parks will close andy we need to take a little break can you stick around i'll be here all right we're going to have more here on the bob harden show on the bob harden broadcasting network Here on the Bob Hartman Broadcasting Network. Two-thirds of parents prefer educational options for their children, with 40% strongly preferring options for their child's education. School choice is a growing movement, one that is already lifting thousands of kids across America. The Optima Foundation, a 501c3 nonprofit corporation, was founded to support the establishment and expansion of superior quality schools of choice. Optima's goal was the successful launch of Hillsdale College Varney Charter School, initiative classical academies, and other schools of excellence across the state of Florida, serving kindergarten through the 12th grade. The mission is to train the minds and improve the hearts of young people through a content-rich classical education in the liberal arts and sciences with instruction in the principles of moral character and civic virtue. In a terrific product of the process, Naples Classical Academy has already opened here in Naples. You can find out more by visiting the website Optima.Foundation. Help children in Florida optimize their educational opportunities. Visit www.Optima.Foundation. Do you suffer from joint pain in your shoulders, hips, or knees? I was suffering from debilitating pain in my knees. On a referral, I saw Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine. He successfully treated my symptoms and pain for several months. Finally, having exhausted all alternatives for pain management, Dr. Markovich and I agreed that surgery was my best alternative. Dr. Markovich replaced both of my knees in 2006, and I now have full range of motion in both knees, and I have no pain. I now now play golf and exercise free of debilitating pain in my knees. Don't suffer needlessly with joint pain. Call orthopedic surgeon Dr. George Markovich with the Institute for Orthopedic Surgery and Sports Medicine at 482-5399. That's 482-5399. He did a great job for me and he'll help you too. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. 
And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. I know everybody, we, we've uh, talked about Lulabee's Diner as a great place to have breakfast or lunch. In fact, we're meeting to Andy there uh, later in the week. Point is, right now, they're beginning to serve some fantastic food at dinner, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. The menu's great. There's great value. Uh, it's comfortable. It's uh, I just encourage you to try Lulabee's Diner in the Green Tree Shopping Center, uh, Wednesday through Saturday, 4 to 8 p.m. And I want to add, the ambiance at Lulabee's is friendly, it's cordial, it's... Uh, it, it feels like home almost, Bob. Absolutely, Andy. So uh, we uh, we were talking a little bit about what's happened in the the uh, vacating the seat of the Speaker of the House. And, of course, the, the pro tempore Speaker has decided to put the gavel down and said, Every, everybody go home and come back on Tuesday. <laughs> yeah, Patrick McHenry, the uh, Senate pro tempore, uh, I think the first thing he did, actually, which was I thought it should have happened under McCarthy, was to eliminate the uh, the inappropriate office space that was being consumed by Nancy Pelosi. Now, I mean, I know that just seems like a, a minor issue, and it is, uh, but again, it's something that should have been taken care of, and uh, and McCarthy ignored that. I think a lot of the uh, Republicans who voted against McCarthy are, were were upset with the six week shutdown over the summer. They said the the continuation process should have been taking place during those six weeks. So instead of having to get into a uh, 11th hour negotiation with the with the Democrats, perhaps it could have been handled in a more uh, comprehensive and meaningful manner if that six weeks had, had not been part of it. Uh, I would also mention that there, they seem to be heading towards Steve Scalise, but it seems to me most of the time when that uh, when that front-running candidate is announced, it, uh, it, it doesn't work out that way. Right. Uh, so I'm not sure if Steve, I think Steve Scalise is a good man. Uh, I'm not sure if he would be dramatically different than uh, than Kevin McCarthy. And just one thought for the uh, for uh, perhaps uh, only uh, interesting to to you and I. I noticed that uh, Byron Donalds, uh, our congressman here in Southwest Florida, uh, decided to stay out of this completely. And I think that was perhaps politically the wisest thing to do at this moment. So I think Byron made the right choice. Uh, so we'll see how it unfolds. I'm I'm still not of the mind that he is not. A possible candidate for the uh, for the Speaker of the House slot, Bob. Well, in fact, uh, his name—I'm quite certain that uh, he orchestrated it. the way he's handled this whole situation. He makes himself uh, a very attractive candidate for Speaker. So we'll see how this plays out. Uh, I think he'd, be, he'd do a terrific job. Yeah, I think he might turn into a compromise candidate. I'm not saying he is uh, somehow unworthy of it being uh, being on his own, uh, but I think he, he could be very easily a go-to candidate. He did receive some support during the uh, McCarthy confirmation process, which uh, was I don't I don't know the significance of that, but certainly he was uh, focused on as a likely speaker of the house potential so uh, let, let's see how it plays out i hope the republicans handle it well i'm not optimistic yep. uh, but i think this is something where uh they've been given what they they think is lemonade uh, lemon let's see if they can turn it into lemonade absolutely uh what are your thoughts on rfk's uh running as a third party candidate well, he's, I think he's going to announce that third-party candidacy, the independent uh, candidacy, in November. Um, I think, you know, it, it seems to me there's a lot of people just uh, really praising RFK. Junior, I've done it. You've done it, and I think with good reason. He's he seemed like a, a a significant voice, challenging at least 
some of the the medical uh, quagmires we've been in, the the vaccine issues, the the nature of of how uh, drugs come to market, and the the implication of of Fauci in all of this. So I think a lot of us, with good reason, uh, have felt very favorably disposed uh, towards RFK Jr. But I think what we're seeing now, and if we look at Sundance, uh, Sundance, a very strong uh, Trump site, a MAGA site, uh, essentially thinks that this RFK Jr. candidacy will take votes from Trump, not from Biden. Now, the case can be made, and I've seen it made by by several commentators, Ah. that this was the intent of RFK Jr. to start with, to in fact damage ultimately the candidacy of Donald Trump. I I am not making that case. I am just citing that it has been reported that way by by others. Uh, So I think what we have to understand is there's many people we like, Bob, but we just don't think they should be president. And I think RFK Jr., to me, is in that category. Uh, So I think uh, we have to watch and see how this unfolds. I think many uh, independents and some very um, uh, limited uh, ideological conservatives or Republicans will be swayed by the by the name, uh, swayed by some of his uh, dramatic positions he's taken. And I think we have to be careful uh, that he does not damage the Trump candidacy if it emerges. Uh, and we have to understand that, yeah, he's been right on many issues, but he's been wrong on global warming. He's been wrong on energy. He's been wrong on, on almost everything else. This yeah. is a strong left-wing person, Bob. I agree with that. I mean, I think <clears throat> he's he's different than most Democrats in the sense that he's honest, and I think he, t- he calls it and tells it like it is uh, on one hand. And so I think he's a he's a uh, a big man among dwarfs uh, when it comes to the Democrat Party. On the other hand, uh, I certainly wouldn't want him as... I, 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 if we had to have a Democrat, he'd be my choice, but he, uh, I would prefer to have Donald Trump in, in the presidency for well, sure. Well, I mean, it's like, do we want Hitler, Goering, or Goebbels? You know, it's, it's, uh, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, a, it's, it's a choice that may have to be made, but it's not <clears> one that is, that's an envious choice to be made. So uh, I, I think, look, what we're looking at here is uh, unless something dramatic happens with the legal quagmires or Trump, we're, we're looking at a, a, a Trump uh, nomination. Um, now, I know DeSantis has announced that he's changing his campaign tactics again, uh-huh. uh, and his, his tactic now will be to directly challenging Donald Trump by name. Now, whether or not this is a healthy approach for, uh, for Ron DeSantis or not, uh, and I, again, I haven't seen uh, him getting good advice uh, up to this point. Right. I'm sure he's being advised that this is the right direction to go. Uh, if I was to have advised him, I would have said, look, it is okay to uh, be in competition with Donald Trump. It is not a good thing if you're directly attacking the man, uh, especially when you're creating hypothetical issues like Trump turned uh, red states blue. Now, that is a hypothetical uh, it's not a, a, a even uh, remotely approvable proposition, and yet he is doing that right now. Uh, so he's offering a commentary that uh, Trump has failed uh, in his in his uh, attempt to uh, challenge the uh, the deep state in, uh, in in Washington, and and yet he ignores all of the problems that he had. And if DeSantis became president, certainly the ones he would have in the same manner, Bob. And again, we need to take a little break. Can you stick around? I'll be here. All right, we're going to have more here on the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. (laughs) 
tuned for more of the Bob Harton Show here on the Bob Harton Broadcasting Network. You have questions about your retirement? Ameriprise Private Wealth Advisor Jason Nardella with Nardella Financial Group, a private wealth advisory practice of Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, can help. With the exclusive Confident Retirement Approach, you'll work together to develop a retirement roadmap to get you where you want to go. Call Nardella Financial Group today at 239-325-1041. That's 239-325-1041. Office is located at 9015 Stratistel Court, Suite 103, Naples, Florida. The Confident Retirement Approach is not a guarantee of future financial results. Investment advisory products and services are made available through Ameriprise Financial Services, LLC, a registered investment advisor. Luke Provence Restaurant is a favorite dining destination for many Neapolitans, including Linda and myself. Blue Provence, located in a historic building in the heart of Old Naples at Creighton Cove, offers a mix of French bistro cooking with bold, fresh Floridian flavors. Experience award-winning cuisine at Blue Provence and enjoy one of Florida's most extensive, eclectic, and fun wine cellars. Dining to choice are the popular Eden Bar, the intimate Courtyard Garden, or the beautiful Provencal Caribbean Dining Room. Enjoy a wonderful and memorable evening in a casual and relaxed atmosphere that includes a taste of Provencal hospitality. Blue Provence is open seven days a week, all year round. Visit BlueProvenceNaples.com for reservations, everyday specials, and coming events. That's BlueProvenceNaples.com or call 261-8239. That's 261-8239. Blue Provence French Restaurant in the heart of Old Naples. Welcome back to the Bob Harton Show. And now here's your host, Bob Harden. Thanks so much for joining us here on the show. It's brought to you in part by the Foundation for Government Accountability. I proudly serve on their board. They help prepare elected officials to have winning strategies in the legislature. And you can find out more. Visit the website, thefga.org, thefga.org. We continue the discussion with Professor Andrew Joppa, author of Josephus of Oz. Again, Andy, thank you so much for joining us. Good to be here. So, Andy, uh, you've oftentimes made some uh, pretty important and incisive uh, comments about what happened with the January 6th thing. Uh, Any thoughts? Well, I think um, one thing that uh, it's not emerging, but it's being uh, uh, clarified, I think it should be clarified for some people, uh, is, first of all, there's a belief that Mike Pence totally disagreed with the position being taken by Donald Trump in terms of, let's call it an investigation into the, into the irregularities of the voting process. Most people, I believe, think that Mike Pence vehemently disagreed with the president and acted uh, in, in a like manner as a result. Uh, I think if we look at some of his comments that are not really typically brought out, but uh, Mike Pence said, I was fully prepared to make sure that we had all the arguments, concerns that members of Congress had brought, but the riot that ensued eclipsed all of that. In other words, Mike Pence indicated that he was ready to, to do that investigatory process with the challenging of the elections, uh, but was stopped from doing that 
uh, I guess by his own decision-making process, because of the what he calls the riots, uh, eclipsing all of that. He made a subsequent comment, which uh, said, and this is fairly recent, he said, I did support the objections that were filed in the Congress, because the Electoral Count Act allows for that objection that were filed by members are to be considered on the Electoral Count Act. The fact is that there were irregularities that took place in the election, and the positive possibility that there would emerge evidence of fraud was always there. So, I mean, if we look at the way this has been presented by the left and, and, and believed by most Americans, I think, Bob, we can see that Mike Pence was in total agreement with Donald Trump's position as it pertained to the issues surrounding the 2020 election. And yet, as Mike Pence indicates, whether it's true or not, but that's what Mike Pence indicates, that his, he was essentially stopped, eclipsed in the process by the rioting on January 6th. So I think that's it's an important consideration. This was not Donald Trump uh, as, as a singular figure that thought this was an appropriate action. Mike Pence thought it was an entirely appropriate action but was prevented from doing so. Yeah, that way I would say he, he assumed a ministerial role. Uh, the reason why, the, in my fa beliefs, the reason why the founders uh, uh, decided to have the vice president count the votes is because they understood that somebody with power needed to be able to make critical decisions at a time where there could be some uh, hanky-panky, some, uh, some nefarious activities going on in the election. And that's why they selected the vice president to do that. And uh, unfortunately, Mike Pence chose a ministerial role, and he seemed he just went about his business as if his real role was just to count votes. And uh, it's unfortunate. And quite frankly, what are the consequences? He has very little following in terms of this uh, presidential primary. I mean, this this is, uh, I think, because of how this has been handled, uh, the real ability. We're looking at uh, AVR, automatic uh, voter registration, taking place across many states, which by, will, by its nature, right. uh, just automatically expand the, the potentials and the reality of voter fraud. So we're looking at this process not having been reversed. I'm talking about voting irregularities. We're talking about voting irregularities and potential for those are being increased across the many states in America. I think because most states and most politicians are terrified of even discussing the issue of voter fraud or irregularities, Bob. Well, I think things have been proved in some states and have probably stayed the same or even gotten worse in other states. I think, and I would suggest those would be blue states. So we can only cope that the uh, overwhelming majority of people will vote for Donald Trump, that even the Democrats figure out, can't figure out how to cheat this time around. Well, I'll, I'll just yield to your optimism and, and not, even, not even comment. All right. <laughs> Andy, always appreciate uh, your commentary here on this show. Again, Andrew Joppa, professor, and now celebrating his 81st birthday. Andy, thank you so much for joining us here on the Literally, show. Literally, I'll see you soon. Buddy. All right. Thank you so much, Andy. Well, that's a wrap here on today's show. I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. I learned a lot. We've got some great guests for tomorrow's show, including Keith Flaw, co-founder of the Florida Citizens Alliance. Seat Motley is the founder and president of Less Government. Dr. George Markovich is an orthopedic surgeon. In fact, he replaced my hip last year. And uh, Bill Barnett, former mayor of Naples, always appreciate his commentary and thoughts about what's happening here locally as well. Uh, I hope you really enjoy the show. I want to thank you for your, your patronage and encourage if you if you have 
Uh, tell your friends if you enjoy the show because it's one of the ways we can expand our audience and uh, support our advertisers, and we can't do the show without them. I hope you make it a great day on the Paradise Coast or wherever you are. Namaste. <laughs> so much for listening to the Bob Harden Show on the Bob Harden Broadcasting Network. For more information and audio files of previous shows, visit www.bobharden.com.